You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. It is December 17th, 2020, and I want to talk about something a little bit different today, and this will loop back into other things that we've discussed, but I want to bring things down to the personal level and let them bubble up from there. So we're going to talk a little bit about some conversations I had here recently with some Christmas parties that we went to and some people that we were talking with, that I was talking with, uh, some friends from church in our small group. And I want to talk about a little bit my perspective on theology and my perspective on politics as a common man, as somebody who is not part of any kind of uh, establishment. I'm not a part of the ruling class. I'm not a part of the intelligentsia. I'm not a part of academia. I am just a man. And this broadcast that I have here on Anchor, I'm building. I'm building it because I think that I should. I think that I ought to. I think that I can honor God by this. I feel drawn to do it. And perhaps calling is too strong of a word, but I feel as though I have been given talents by the master and that I need to invest those talents. So, for instance, when people tell me you have a good voice for radio, and I remember back in 2012 almost getting a job with KGLE in Glendive, Montana, and almost getting into broadcasting, but having to go the oil and gas development, the oil and gas production route instead for the sake of providing for my family. When I think about that, I think to myself, why choose? Why choose to do either the oil and gas operator or technician job to feed and provide for my family or do the broadcasting thing? Why not do both? Why not do the podcasting thing as a way of learning how to do both and how to not just invest some of the talents that God has given me, how to invest all of the talents. Because the first and greatest commandment, according to Jesus, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. The second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So if I have given my all at the end of my days to loving God, then I will have, after a fashion by God's grace, fulfilled that greatest commandment. I will have obeyed that greatest commandment. And if in the process of loving the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, I have also benefited my fellow man, my neighbor, if I have loved my neighbor as I love myself, then I can look forward to, I believe, by God's grace, hearing those words from the Master, well done, good and faithful servant, enter now into your place of rest. So I'm tired, but as the Proverbs say, there is no rest for the wicked or the weary. And so we must press on. In being tired, we should not grow weary of doing good. We should press on in doing good. And I do believe this is a good thing, not perfect, because I'm not perfect. I still have my own foibles. I still have my own immaturities, my own insecurities. But I am going to press on. So how am I pressing on? And what is it that maybe the master has given to me? What talents has he entrusted to me? I don't want to bury those in a field because the master ends up rebuking the servant that buries his talents in a field. The servant, when the master returns, says, I knew you were a hard man who reaps where he does not sow. 
And so I buried the talents in a field. And what is that to us? Is that supposed to be our example? Is that supposed to be what we emulate and what we follow? No, God forbid. That is not the model for our lives. We should not be burying our talents in the field. We should not be burying our talents in the field just because we might earn scorn and ridicule and confused looks and people are not sure quite what our deal is. What is your driver? What is your motivation? As the actors always like to say, what is my motivation? Well, my motivation is supposed to be serving God and honoring God and loving my neighbor as I love myself. That's supposed to be what animates my actions and my statements. It should animate my life. And exactly what that looks like is different precisely in its details for all of us. But in general, that is the calling that we should be following and pursuing. In the broadest possible terms, that is supposed to be what we're about, is we love God and we love our fellow man. If you really just boil it all down, that's what it is. Now, within that, the particulars of how we love God, we are able to find and discern from the scriptures. And if we are in Christ, we are able to discern those as well because God's Spirit resides in us. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit dwelling within us is there to guide us. He is our guide. He is our comforter. He is God with us. And so I am hopefully, as the Spirit leads, recording these episodes so that it is a benefit and an encouragement to others. Not that I am going to do all of this and that is going to be that, but God is going to do this through us if we submit ourselves to him, if we fear God rather than fearing men. Whoever fears God will be safe, but the fear of man lays a snare. We don't want to be snared. We don't want to be trapped. We don't want to be brute beasts who are incapable of reasoning. We want to be faithful image bearers of the Almighty. So as I think about what this means for me, I would encourage you to think about what this means for you. And I don't want to prattle on talking about what this means for me as though that is the be-all, end-all. And you guys should all rise in a standing ovation for me. That's not the point. The point is I want to lead by example. And I also want to be found faithful in my generation. We have in the biblical literature that is handed down to us, that is God-breathed and suitable for instruction to righteousness, that the man of God might be complete, equipped for every good work. We have examples of men who were blameless in their generation, and we want to be like them in general, not necessarily in all the particulars, not everything that they were called to do specifically is what we are called to do specifically. Sometimes what we find in the personal examples of the men in the Bible is descriptive. It's not prescriptive, but sometimes we can learn a thing or two from the particulars, from the details. And so in real time, in our current context, in the times that we live in right now, it behooves us to have an example in the flesh. And I think that's part of why God doesn't immediately get us out of here. He doesn't immediately pull us back up to heaven as soon as we are in Christ. As soon as we say those words, that is not the end of it in terms of our living out a life on this uh, planet, in this fallen creation, which 
will be renewed, it will be refreshed, it will be power cycled, if you will, uh, and it will be made right again at a certain point. But in the meantime, we have to struggle with the imperfections within us because we have not yet been made perfect. God is perfecting us, but we have not yet been made perfect completely. And also this creation has not been yet made perfect. And so it groans. It groans as if it were a woman in childbirth. She is in pain. And part of what is being birthed is the sons of God as they will be for eternity once God calls it. Once he says, okay, that's it, game over. You guys are the winners. You guys are the losers. You guys enter into your place of rest. You guys depart from me. I never knew you. So me particularly, all that said, I am a father of seven children. Josiah, Elihu, Solomon, Daniel, Evelyn, Enoch, and John. I am also husband to Lauren. I am also an oil and gas worker since 2012. I have been an operator for times. I have been a technician for times. And I, throughout all that experience in oil and gas, have had a lot of opportunity. I've been given a blessing that I have tried to invest wisely, hopefully. Uh, not always perfectly, but I've tried to invest my time in getting knowledge and getting wisdom and understanding this father's world that we live in and how do we honor our master how do we honor our lord and savior with the time that we have well in my case i am trying to troubleshoot so getting into a question i was asked the night before last we had a christmas party for a small group which we attended which we had a great time at, which we stayed maybe too late, maybe not too late, maybe just late enough to be tired the next day. But uh, we stayed for a good long time and had great conversation and the kids got along great and they played together and they had uh, just a, a great time. But I was asked a question by David Garcia. He's a young guy, he's studying to be a firefighter, he's studying to be an EMT, a uh, great guy. and. David asked me what I do for a living. And so I'm explaining, I'm an INE technician for a small local midstream gas company, gas uh, gathering company. We have facilities that gather the gas from these wells and we process it just kind of generally or uh, loosely. We don't break it down into all of its smaller parts, but we clean it up and we separate out the NGLs and we send off the basic parts that are generally dry and clean to other companies that buy that gas from us and then they f continue refining it. So we refine it to a certain extent and then they refine it still further before it goes to market and it does things like heating your home, like uh, you know allowing you to have a barbecue in your backyard during the summer or the winter if you grill all year long, which some people do. Uh, this natural gas ends up making a lot of plastics. I don't know if you're aware of that, but a lot of plastics are made out of natural gas byproducts. So there's just a lot of things. There's a lot of things. If you have a lighter and you use it to light the birthday candles on your kid's cake, that is coming up from the ground. That is coming up from possibly 
the wells around the facility that I work at, and we are a part of how that gets to you in a form that you can use that is useful, that is helping us all as God's image bearers to fulfill that first commandment that was given, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. So I'd like to get into that topic again later on another episode and talk more about the implications of that. But for right now, generally speaking, that's what I do. And so INE technician was not a term that was familiar to David Garcia. So David Garcia asks me, what does an INE technician do? What, are you, what, are you, uh, what does that mean? And I said, well, INE stands for instrumentation and electronics. And so if you can just imagine our facility, we've got all of these different vessels and pipes and pumps and motors and fans and all that kind of stuff. And we have sensors attached to these things, which allow us to keep within certain parameters. We want to not get too hot. We want to not get too cold. We want to not get too high pressure. We don't want to get too low pressure. We don't want to get our flow rate too high. We don't want to get it too low. And so we've got sensors all over the place that come into a central computer. And that central computer is called a PLC, Programmable Logic Computer. And that PLC takes the inputs and it organizes the information and it presents that information to us, to the operators, to the plant manager, to everybody. And it allows us to run the business in an intelligent and effective way. We keep track of the volumes, but in addition to keeping track of the volumes, you have to understand where you're at in terms of heating, not too little, not too much, cooling, not too little, not too much at different stages. That's basically, if you want to imagine an accordion, you're just compressing and then decompressing and compressing and decompressing this gas as a way of kind of wringing out a towel. You know, if you are using a washcloth to wipe down your table and you get that washcloth wet, you'll squeeze it to get the excess water out. And then you go wipe things down and you bring the washcloth back to the sink and you run it under the water and you squeeze it and you let it fill up with water and then you squeeze it. And when you're doing that, you're getting the dirty stuff out of it and you're allowing it to absorb some water, but you don't want too much water because you don't want to make a mess. That's kind of what we do with gas. We're squeezing the gas and then we're letting it out. And then we're squeezing it and we're letting it out. We're getting all of the water out. We're getting all of the impurities out. And then those go somewhere else, or we dispose of them, or we burn them off, or whatever. And the good stuff you want to keep, and you want to sell it, and you want it to be profitable. You want it to be something that's of value to other people, that's useful to them, because that's the whole basis for economic transactions. So within that, we have all these sensors, we have all these transmitters, and switches, and motors, and electrical components, all of these breakers and wires and cables and communications and network and all of that stuff that is all tied together and it's all a complicated thing. But my job is to maintain that. And my job is if a sensor or a transmitter or any of these devices or components, if it if they go bad or they stop working properly, it's my job to go and figure out why are they not working and how do we get them working again? And if at all possible, you want to repair something that is not functioning the way that it ought to because that's cheaper. It's usually cheaper, not always, I suppose, but it's usually cheaper to repair something or to fix it or to clean it out if it's just dirty, if it's just clogged. It's usually cheaper to, 
to repair something that you already have than it is to make something brand new. It's not a sustainable business model to be buying a brand new transmitter every time one stops working quite the way that it ought to if you can just fix the one that you've got. And so troubleshooting is my bread and butter. That is what puts food on the table for my family. That is what puts gas in our car, which is also another petroleum product. Uh, but troubleshooting is what I do day in and day out. Even when I was an operator before I became an INE technician, that was my favorite part of the job was this well is not running. I got here, I got to site, I had gotten an alarm because I was benefiting from the automated systems on the production side. Now I'm on the midstream side, but I was on the production side and I would get an alarm and it would say the well is down. And it might sometimes say what the alarm was that had knocked the well down. Sometimes it wouldn't. It depended on how advanced the automation was on that facility, whether we had all of the little bells and whistles to tell us programmed into the uh, SCADA system, which is supervisory control and data acquisition. That's what SCADA stands for, if you've ever heard the term. But I would get an alert and it would say the well is down and you need to get out there is what I knew instinctively because that's my job, right? My job is to get out there and fix it. And part of fixing it is you have to start looking at what your sensors, what your transmitters are telling you. You have to be paying attention to the data. If you're not paying attention to the data, then you're going to have a hard time fixing your well. And what you might do is you might restart that well right away and it might run for a bit. It might run for a few hours. It might run for a few minutes. It might run for a few days. But if you didn't fix the underlying cause of the shutdown, you're going to have that shutdown again. And it might be worse the next time around, depending on what was causing the shutdown, you might have a very bad time on your hands. You might have something that is about to burst, that is about to fail, it's about to break down. And if it's intermittent at first, you want to fix it before it becomes catastrophic or becomes terminal, especially if it is going to result in uh, downtime that is costly, that is expensive, uh, especially if it's going to present a safety hazard, something that could potentially injure or kill somebody. It could cause them an illness. It could cause an environmental incident. It could cause uh, damage to expensive equipment. All of that undermines the bottom line for your business. And even though I'm an operator and I'm not the one paying for this replaced transmitter, this replaced motor, this replaced whatever, if the company is constantly having to shell out 10000 here, 30000 there, it at the end of their shelling that out, they might just question whether I'm the operator that they need to have out there or whether they need to have somebody out there who's a little more capable, who cuts costs, who does their own maintenance, who does the troubleshooting, who's proactive rather than reactive, who is assertive for their best interests rather than passive and apathetic. When you're passive and apathetic in the good times, you might get by with it. When the well is producing and oil is at $100 a barrel and your company is flush with cash, they might not really care whether you're minding your P's and your Q's. They might just say, hey, you know what? Keep it going. We've got a new well down the road. Just restart this one and get back over to the new well because we just got to keep things running as best as possible and we don't have enough people and just run, 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 run. But when things slow down and when the price of oil drops and when your margins for every barrel of oil drop or even go negative and you're losing money, 
all of a sudden, the operators who are paying attention stand out. All of a sudden, those guys still have a job, even when everybody else is getting laid off. And so the only layoff I got, not to toot my own horn, but just to argue for diligence, to argue for paying attention to our P's and Q's and paying attention to details and not being apathetic and trying to fix things and repair them, troubleshoot them when we can, rather than just replacing everything when it goes bad. My argument here is predicated on experience, and the experience that I had initially was with ConocoPhillips. ConocoPhillips had uh, Burlington Resources, wells and assets in eastern Montana and western North Dakota. I operated a lot of those, and I worked with the operators that operated the rest of them. I trained a significant number of the operators that we had, and I helped to cross-train and, and uh, uh, work with and, and coordinate with the operators, even the ones that I didn't train necessarily, I helped them to augment their knowledge and their understanding. We worked together as a team, even if their route was not my route. I wanted to help them because at the end of the day, it helped me. It helped me because I helped them. And then when I'm in trouble, they help me for one thing. It helped me in the sense that I help them and that helps the company. And I work for this company and I need this company to do well in order for me to still have a job here as long as I want it. And so when I started, we were still in the midst of the boom. And if you're not familiar with the term, you have oil booms, you have oil busts. Oil booms happen when the price of oil is high and when it's profitable and there's just a frenzy of activity to get this oil out of the ground. And the bust happens when the price of oil crashes, which it often does. And it has ever since this industry came into being about 150 years ago. So the boom was happening when I got in in 2012. That's how I got in with no experience because they just needed people. They needed fresh bodies. They need, they needed people with a pulse to get out there and run the route and put eyes on things and report back. Even if you don't know what it is, just go out there. We need people. And so I got out there and I was incredibly fortunate and blessed to have gotten in when I did. But I started out and I'm an operator and I don't know my crescent wrench from my pipe wrench. I don't know my Phillips from my flathead. I don't know mechanics. I don't know how to work on this stuff. I did know computers pretty well because I was a tech guy all through high school and through my college years. And after that, and I had built computers and I was pretty familiar with electronics and how to navigate software. And I'd been a data entry clerk for a trucking company for a few years when we still lived in Ohio. And I'd been a logistics broker who worked with trucking companies. And so I had an, a fairly easy time integrating that experience into what I was doing as an operator. But I had to learn, I had to trade my knowledge for the knowledge that other people had. You know, so I'm working with good old boys that have been ranchers and farmers their whole lives, who've been hunters, who've been mechanical their whole lives, but they're not computer savvy. They're not tech savvy. So all these devices and these instruments and having to do their daily reports and type those into an Excel spreadsheet and email that out, that was difficult for them. That was like breathing to me, but it was difficult for them. Meanwhile, the mechanical part of the job was easy for them because that's what they did all the time. That's what they'd done their whole life since they could walk around and go gaga goo goo. Their fathers and their uncles and their grandfathers had said, hey, pass me that wrench. Nope, the other one. Okay, this is a crescent wrench. Okay, that is a Phillips screwdriver. Okay, this is metric. That is SAE. They had 
done that kind of work their whole lives. And so we traded. I traded them some tips and tricks on how to do their daily reports a little more efficiently. I helped them to figure out the instrumentation kind of uh, problems a little bit better. I worked with the INE technicians to help them to do their job, troubleshoot. Before they would get to site, I would call them. I would say, hey, here's the problem I'm having. I would describe it for them, give them the details. They would say, hey, try this, check that. Okay, thanks. We'll be out there tomorrow or later today or whatever. And with my fellow operators, I would trade my tech knowledge for their mechanical knowledge. And that ended up giving me both, and it gave me the best of both worlds. And by the end of my four and a half years with ConocoPhillips, we were in the bust. And this was in 2016. And 2016 marked the election between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And conservative major oil and gas companies being such as they are, their bottom line is their bottom line, they were going to cut costs because they were expecting to have a hard time of it with Hillary Clinton as president. They were expecting her to win. The media was expecting her to win. The establishment was expecting her to win. And so they were going to cut costs. Part of the way that they were going to cut costs was closing down the local office for ConocoPhillips in Sydney, Montana. So they announced that they're closing that office. They're going to move everybody who still wants a job with ConocoPhillips over to the Watford City, North Dakota office. They were going to stop paying us for our drive time. We were getting paid from the moment we leave our house until the moment we get home and we're done with our books. That was going to be all workable hours, billable hours. And they were going to change that up. They were going to make us drive from where I had bought a house at their request with their assistance, with down payment assistance, with... Uh, cost of living adjustments and all kinds of things. They paid for the movers to move us from Glendive to Sydney. They were asking me to change from working out of the Sydney office where we lived, where I had bought a house in an inflated housing market to Watford City. And I considered it. I looked at it with my wife. We were attending a church and very involved in a church in uh, Savage, Montana. At that time, I was a deacon I was on the governing board. My kids were going to Awana. I was helping out with teaching Awana and with teaching Sunday school and all that kind of stuff. And it just ended up not being a good fit. And I wanted to do something different between uh, having operated for four and a half years and being on the safety committee there at ConocoPhillips and having been told I should have been promoted a number of times, but there was nepotism and I was frustrated about that. They announced they were closing and... I could have kept my job if I wanted to. I wasn't laid off per se, but I opted out. I opted for a voluntary layoff. In fact, when I first used the term resignation in my letter explaining that I was leaving and that I would like to take the severance package and be on my merry way, when I very first used the term resigned because my supervisor had told me that I need to write a letter saying I resign if I wanted to just leave, when I first used that term, the response I got from HR was, oh, then you won't be eligible for the severance package. I said, whoa, 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 not so fast. My supervisor told me to use the term resigned. So I'm not leaving except that you've offered severance and I'm willing to take severance rather than commit to driving for free now. I don't want to have two hours of my commute daily all of a sudden be donated to the company. That's a bait and switch. That is funny business. That's not the way that I'm prepared to go out. 
And so then they ended up giving me a, a nice fat severance package. And I went into being an INE technician instead of being an operator. But before that, I had, I was one of the only, I, w- I was one of only two people in the Bakken who got a raise while they were closing the office, while they were looking at giving severance packages to people and cutting staff and trimming the business. I got a raise in the midst of all of that. And the reason I got a raise is because I was a hard worker because I covered vacation whenever vacation needed covered. I was cross-training other operators, new operators. I was helping them with their routes. I was helping to get routes ready for audits and inspections by the regulatory agencies, NDIC, BLM. Uh, From our corporate standpoint, we have a corporate internal audit at ConocoPhillips where managers and supervisors from all over the company, different other assets would form a team and then they would come to your asset and they would look everything over and they being from the outside from other assets they would have different ideas of what was proper than necessarily your local guy who sometimes cuts corners maybe or sometimes just lets things go maybe or whatever and they would come in and they would audit and my route was always the one that got audited because I kept things right and tight whether it was boom or bust I kept operating at least with the intention of excellence because we're working as unto the Lord, not for men. We're not working for men. We're working for the master. And in working for the master, we will serve our fellow man and and our employers or whoever excellently and diligently. So I was offered a raise when a lot of men in the industry were being laid off. And my whole point in that is not to toot my own horn, not to say, hey, look at me, I'm fantastic. But my point is to make the case that I am a troubleshooter and I'm somebody that tries to do the P's and Q's and tries to operate with excellence, tries to troubleshoot with excellence for the best uh, outcome for my employer, my coworkers, the team that I'm on, and for the Lord, because that's the right thing. That is the right thing to do. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So that's what I do with my work. Now, where all of this ties in and the time that we've got left for this episode is in talking with David Garcia and explaining all this, he says, oh, that's really cool. I said, yeah, no, it's, it's a good job. I'm blessed to have it. I talked with his dad as well right after that. His dad is Roy Garcia, and Roy Garcia is a technician for uh, CenturyLink. And as such, he goes around and he maintains their infrastructure it's about a 60-square-mile radius, I believe, here in northern Colorado. And he makes sure that everything is functioning properly from a communication standpoint, from an electrician, electricity uh, standpoint, just does some kind of light electrician work, uh, does some HVAC troubleshooting as well in the summer and in the winter when things maybe are too hot or too cold for your equipment to be working optimally. He does that kind of stuff. And so... I was surprised that you know, there's so much similarity in what he does and with what I do, even though I'm in a different industry. He's working in telecoms. I'm working in oil and gas. A lot of the principles are the same as far as troubleshooting, as far as the nature of the work, as far as the things we like about it, and as far as the reward internally that we uh, feel and that we're pursuing with troubleshooting and resolving things and figuring them out and maintaining them well. And it's funny. you know, There was a comment that he made that I really identified with and I really um, 
felt like, you know, yeah, that's, that's exactly what it is for me too. And he said, you know, when he comes to the scriptures, when he comes to God's word, he comes to the Bible, he comes with that troubleshooting mindset where he's trying to figure it out. And he's, you know, he's like, well, you know, I, I need to stop doing that so much, I guess. And, and I said, no, 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 don't, don't stop doing that. Actually keep doing it, keep doing that. And that's, that's how you're wired, you know, no pun intended. That's, that's who you are. Uh, bring that to the table. You know, as we're troubleshooting, we just need to figure out what is the goal? You know, what is the end goal here? Is it to troubleshoot God? Well, you know what? You can just rule that out. That's what you have to do with troubleshooting is, especially with complicated systems. You have to be able to do the process of elimination thing. You have to be able to rule things out because you can't troubleshoot everything all at the same time in a complicated system. Now, sometimes that makes it a lengthy process because you're trying to narrow it down and that takes time. But when you can cross certain things off the list, you can say, that is not it. You know, for instance, I just put in a brand spanking new transmitter here and I know that it's fresh out the box and I know that it works and we just calibrated it and it came through with flying colors and these devices have a great reputation and they do not fail. They do not have problems like this. Then you start checking other things. For instance, the wiring. You start checking your communications. You start checking the things that you're wired back to. Do we have a faulty breaker? Do we have a faulty fuse? Do we have you know, some bad wiring? Do we have a, a broken connection somewhere that is sometimes making good contact, it's other times not making good contact? Do we have a setting, perhaps, that got switched or it reverted to factory settings and we had it configured correctly, but it lost its programming for whatever reason. There was a power uh you know, glitch, uh, blip, uh, you know, flicker, sometimes flickering power can cause devices to lose their settings and they'll go back to factory default settings. And so that's fun. Hopefully you have a backup and you can put that in. But all of that is to say, when it comes to these political issues, these political questions of our day, that is, I think the way that I look at it, I'm trying to do the process of elimination. Okay. What is the problem here? You know, what is the major malfunction here? Do we have a breaker tripped? Do we have bad wiring? Do we have operators who have been doing a crappy job because they really don't care and they don't think anybody's watching them that closely? They think they're out of sight, out of mind. And so they're not running this correctly and they're living high on the hog because times have been good and we're just about to go into hard times and we're going to have to have people that understand this stuff. We need to understand this stuff in case there's a cleaning of the house that needs to happen. And we need a new crop of leaders to step into these positions of authority and operate the equipment. Because at the end of the day, whoever does not provide for the needs of his own household is worse than an infidel. The scriptures say, whoever does not work shall not eat. The scriptures say, and so we live here. This is our country. And if we have politicians who have been enriching themselves, but have not been doing a diligent job, they need to be fired. They need to be laid off, quite frankly. And they need to be replaced with people who are about excellence. That may be me. That may be you. And if it is us, if it is a new crop of workers and operators and technicians who are going to try and troubleshoot and revamp and revitalize and operate these things appropriately and tweak them and build them back up and fix them. If it's going to be us, then we need to have some idea 
of how to operate these things. We need to be cross-training right now so we're able to step into that role if, God willing, that is what needs to happen. We need to do it because that is a kind of work and that's kind of, that is a kind of work that we need to be able to do. And honestly, even if we're not taking that kind of work on, we need to understand the process so that we're able to provide accountability for our elected representatives. We're able to call them to account when they're not doing as they ought to. Because accountability, just like that corporate audit, when you have people coming in from different assets and they're looking at your records, they're looking at your facilities, they're looking to see, do we have leaks here? I thankfully was always the guy that was receiving these audits. And I say thankfully because I took it as a pat on the back. You're sending the auditors to my route, in the words of my supervisor, because I know you have your poop in a group. Well, I'm paraphrasing. You know, it, it was like, okay, well, thanks. You know, like I get to have this stress, but I wasn't stressed. That's the great thing about having your stuff in order, having your records up to date and accurate, having them complete records. That's the nice thing about maintaining your equipment and not just letting things leak out on the ground where you've got big oil stains on your pad. That's the nice thing about having your stuff wiped down. If you had a leak on the wellhead and you wiped it down diligently and it's nice and clean so you can see when the packing starts leaking again and it's a fresh leak because I just wiped that down yesterday. looks like it's time to tighten the packing or change the packing out on the polish rod. You know, I'm paying attention to my polish rod and I see a bit of a wobble developing. It's wobbling more than it was yesterday and the day before that and the day before that. I think we've got things maybe that need to be looked at here. There's something off-center, there's something whatever. When you have a external audit that comes in and you have your stuff in order, that's a good thing. You know, that's exciting because it's like, aha, great. Yes, you guys are going to see that I've been taking care of this and I will be rewarded even if it's just with a attaboy, kudos, and the peace of mind. And if people do not have their stuff in order, then accountability needs to happen. There need to be fresh eyes coming in and looking at that and saying, um, you need to shape up, right? Because just like the business interest is hurt and undermined with operators out there not having somebody looking at their stuff and doing a poor job, the country's interests, our interests, our family's interest, our fellow man's interest, our friends and family's interest is hurt by us not providing accountability, not auditing our representatives and keeping them honest. So they're not the better for it. We're not the better for it. And so we've got to have a basic understanding of what's going on, how this works. We've got to have the courage to speak up and say, that's not acceptable or well done. You know, well done to the people that are doing the right thing. And shame on you to the people who are being unscrupulous. We need to provide accountability. We need to be troubleshooters and operators of our republic, of this country. So anyways, that's all I got for you today. I hope it was a benefit. I hope it was an interesting segment. Uh, tomorrow, I don't know what we'll talk about. We'll see what happens in the news today. Might just switch back to covering some current event. But uh, anyways, that's all for today. Thanks for listening and God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you heard today, visit the homepage for On The Rocks blog at onthe.rocks. Also, check out On The Rocks blog podcast with Micah Hirschberger, weekly on Anchor FM. If you haven't yet done so, hit subscribe to this podcast also. And you can reach Garrett Ashley Mullet with any comments, questions, or complaints at garrettmullet at gmail.com.